Uh, today, uh, I'm so excited to have my friend Nika Maples here to share. Nika, if you want to go ahead and start making your way up. Part of my job is to put anointed people and anointed stories in front of you. Nika has been a friend of mine. We've been friends for a while. Um, Nika and I, we've done a podcast. We've written blurbs and endorsements for each other's books. And about a year ago, I said, Nika, what is it going to take for me to get you to Sycamore View on a Sunday? And when, especially when I, when I knew I was preaching through Hebrews, which is a book about endurance and perseverance, I, I knew I wanted her here. So Nika reached out to me, and Nika has a family. Can y'all just raise your hand, Nika's family, who's here today? We got some Elvis fans in the family. And Nika was like, our family needs to go check out Elvis. So Nika is here with us today. Uh, Nika, you can follow her on nikamaples.com. She has all kinds of stuff on there. She's written multiple books, Everyday Genesis my favorite, Hunting Hope, 12 Clean Pages, and Keep Teaching, which is a devotional study. Nika grew up in Fort Worth, went to ACU to study broadcast journalism, but a medical crisis forced her a change of plans, which she's going to talk a little bit more about this morning. She was a classroom teacher for 12 years, and now she writes and she speaks full-time. She became friends with my mom, Beverly, a while back, and I love this line right here, because hearts that know what it means to hope against all hope are always drawn to one another. So, Nika, you radiate joy. You're an ambassador for hope. Uh, you live a, an adventurous life for God, and I'm so excited to have you with us. Can we give Nika a... Thank a, you. Sick of you welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so proud of you, young people, for serving in your community. I can't just ignore it. You are beautiful. You're shining the light of Christ in this city. So thank you. Um, I've always been a Rocky fan. My favorite movies are Rocky movies. And... For a while, I almost let a Rocky mentality inform my faith. My favorite line from Rocky Balboa, the sixth movie, which isn't that good, but it has a good line. Um, he says, you, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's about how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And there was one day in my life that completely shifted this perspective on life, that it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. We're gonna begin with that day in just a minute. But first, I wanna tell you where we're going you need a map. By the end of this message, you're going to know three strategies that the enemy will use against you. You'll know two easy mistakes that believers make. And my favorite, you're going to know one new way to pray. Now, we're foolish if we think we can understand the Bible by ourselves. It's supernatural. And in our natural minds, no matter how smart we are, we cannot understand this. It says in the Bible that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He went to the synagogue and he opened people's minds to understand the scriptures. So we're going to ask for that. Open your hands and put them on your lap. Holy Father, 
We believe that you are higher than, uh, than we are. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so in the name of Jesus, we ask that you open our minds to understand your word. It's holy. It's holy. And we cannot understand it without you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, will you turn to Hebrews 4? I have a lot of scripture up here. I did this for you and for me. I have also printed the scriptures here so we can go through it fast. I got a lot to cram in, but I do want you to open your Bibles to one scripture. You won't have to turn anywhere else because the rest will be up here. But in Hebrews 4, we find something that will encourage us to our core. The day I told you that my perspective, my rocky mentality changed, that life isn't about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, was the day that I was imagining myself in the armor of God. That is mentioned in Ephesians 6. You know the verse that we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the gospel of peace on our feet, and the sword of the spirit in our hand, the shield of faith in our hand. Now, imagination is godly. The enemy thwarts, twists, and perverts anything that God says is good. Well, our imaginative creator made all of this through his imagination, and he, put, he made us in his image. So we all have fabulous imaginations, but We've learned to calm those down. It's not good to daydream. It's not good to imagine too much. And it's dangerous. The enemy can weasel in. But I'm telling you that God meant for us to be people who imagine. It's through our daydreams a lot of times that he speaks to us. Because the desires of our hearts, what he's planted in us to grow, comes forward and blooms. So as I read the Bible, sometimes I imagine, really, what is this saying for me? If you haven't done that before, it may really inspire you as you read the Bible. So I was reading Ephesians 6, thinking myself in the armor of God. And I thought the weirdest thing as I was imagining it. I imagined the shield of faith in my right hand and the sword of the spirit in my left. The thing that's weird about that is that I'm right-handed. So why would I have the shield in my right hand and the sword in my left? So I prayed and I said, Lord, why am I picturing that that way? It's like the weirdest thing for me to picture the shield in my right hand. And he said to my heart, you lead with your defense. Why do you lead with your defense? And all of a sudden I was like, wait, so I'm like swinging a shield? How effective is that against the enemy? I'm saying, in faith, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. In faith, I believe God's protecting me. And I've got all the whole time, I've got this offensive weapon in my left hand and doing very little damage against the enemy of God. What is this sword that we're supposed to have in our dominant hand? What, are we, what does it mean to lead with our offense instead of constantly being worried about protection? What does it mean to come against him so he's the one that's unprotected? 
Let's look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. Now, I'm reading with the New Living Translation, um, and you can just circle any words that are keywords for you and your translation. God's promise of entering the, his place of rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to get there. For this good news that God has prepared a place of rest has been announced to us just as it was to the Israelites. But it did them no good because they did not believe what God had told them. The place of rest that God had prepared for the Israelites did them no good because they did not believe what God had told them. It did them no good because they did not believe what God had told them. It did them no good because they did not believe what God had told them. It did them no good. Why? Say it out loud. Because they did not believe what God had told them. Now, let's jump to verse 8. That will be on the screen. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving the Israelites this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. That's when, right in that context, we get the rest of it. For the word of God is full of living power. It's sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes for us who we really are. The sword that is of special um, power against the enemy is found in Hebrews in the context of rest. It's found in Hebrews in the context of resting in what God had already said. Remember, it did no good because they didn't believe what God had said over them. So our sword, our power, the power of the, the word is that we believe it. That is what is a powerful weapon against the enemy. The context of our sword is in rest. We do nothing against the enemy except claim and echo what God has already said. We believe what God has already said. This is not resting for resting's sake, but resting in what God has already done. That's what makes us all ready for battle. All of us are ready for battle because God has already done something. You believe what God says and then you echo it with your mouth. That's your sword. You believe what God says, and then you echo it with your mouth. So for me, I was saying, protect me, protect me, protect me, protect me. Instead of saying, God says, I am his child, and I believe that. God says, I have purpose, and I believe that. God says, I am saved. You can't bring up my sins anymore, devil. I believe that I am forgiven. God says, I have a hope and a future. No matter what happens to me, I have a hope and a future. I believe it. That is our 
weapon. Now, if you want an example in the Old Testament of a man who believed what God had said, that would be David. He was all ready for battle when he was young. When he was as young as you are, he believed what God said about him. Here I have real quick. God said, the Lord sought out a man after his own heart. So he was saying, in essence, my son David has what it takes. He's a man after my own heart. Here also in Samuel 16, Samuel, the prophet, took one look at David's brother Eliab and thought, surely this one is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the way you see. People have judged by the outward appearance, but the Lord judges the heart. So what is the other thing that God said about David? His intentions are pure and godly. I see his heart. He has what it takes and his intentions are pure and godly. And then something else we see that God saw and spoke over David. This is the one. Anoint him. In other words, I have a big assignment for him. He's my chosen one. David had what it takes. He, his intentions were pure and godly. And he had a very big assignment. But if you look at right before he fights Goliath. And maybe you have been in this position right before the biggest fight of your, of your life. The enemy comes at you from someone you care about. Comes at you from the inside. You're getting ready to fight something big on the outside. But the enemy uses someone you love. A friend, a family member, someone at work that you trust to say something over you that doesn't line up with what God has already said about you. And that's where you have to be careful. Look at 1 Samuel 17. David was overhearing people talk about this reward. If you kill Goliath, you're going to get a reward. You get a wife and you get no taxes for the rest of your life. I'd sign up to kill a giant if I had to pay no taxes for the rest of my life for sure. So David asked a soldier standing nearby, so what, wait, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, who was jealous, that's obvious, heard David talking to the men. He was angry. Can't you just see him pulling David over? What are you doing here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheeps you're supposed to be taking care of? I know all about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. <coughs> what have I done now? David replied. I was just asking a question. Well, that sounds like it came straight from our homes, doesn't it? How many times have you heard your children say, what have I done now? I was just asking a question. Well, this older brother pointed out three things. He said, what are you doing here? Don't you have some sheep to take care of? In other words, your assignment is small. He said, I know about your pride and deceit. In other words, you don't have what it takes. And he said, you just came here because you wanted to see the battle. In other words, your motives 
are fishy. Your motives are suspect. Those are the three strategies that the enemy is going to use against you. I want you to write it down because when you see it this week, you will notice it right away. He's going to tell you that your assignment is small. He is going to tell you that you do not have what it takes. He is going to tell you that you have very suspect motives. That you're not in it for God, you're in it for yourself. But David knew that even when the attack came from the inside, the real inside was God. And that's where you come from as well. You respond to the enemy with the truth of the one who is in you and who has spoken over your life. So here's what David answers. David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. In other words, my assignment is not small. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go to it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. In other words, I have what it takes. And I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. In other words, I'm doing this for God. My motives are godly. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He says so. And I submit to you that David won the battle right there. That, that moment is where he won the battle. The whole thing with Goliath in the valley never needed to happen after this. He had completely defeated the enemy right there. Friends, the battle is won in the echo of God's word. This is our sword. We repeat it through our mouths. Why? Because what we fight in the valley will first be fought in our minds. What would it have looked like if David had led with his defense like I have done? It would have looked like praying for protection more than praying his purpose. Saying, please don't let this giant hurt me. Please don't let this giant hurt me. Instead of saying, I know I'm called by God. I do not have a small assignment. I have a big assignment. It's a godly assignment. I have what it takes. And I am doing it for the Lord. My motives are pure. That is his sword strike against the enemy. So two easy mistakes that believers make. We pray for protection more than for our purpose. And we forget the power of pain. How many of you think that if David was wrestling lions to the ground that he never had a bruise? How many of you think that if he was mauling bears that he never had a scratch? This man probably had some broken bones that had healed. He probably had scars. He was not afraid of pain because pain had trained him for the moment when he would swing that sword and defeat the enemy in his mind. Um, I want you to know, you, some of you may already know a little of my story that I was a sophomore in college dreaming of grand big things when I suddenly went blind. 
as I was driving down the road, which is an inconvenient time to go blind in your left eye, and I went straight to the dorm room as fast as I could, worried that I would go blind and the other eye as well. Sometime later, after tests, that they said, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, there's nothing wrong. Sometime later, I just fell on my face. On March 2nd, 1994, my whole life changed. I had suffered what appears to be something like a brainstem stroke that left me completely quadriplegic. I could not speak, I could not blink my eyes, I could not move a muscle. My mother called 911 where she found me on the floor. I was rushed to the emergency room where I stayed in ICU for 10 days. And I heard them speaking over me. Well, she only has 48 hours left to live. So you need to bring two friends to say goodbye to her. Okay. Do you see that? Physically, I couldn't have fought anyone, but there was a mighty war going on in here because I heard every single word. And I thought, now, what God has spoken of for over me, is it done today? Not my will be done, but yours, Lord. And I will lay here, even on this hospital bed, believing that I have a purpose and it has nothing to do with performance. That I can't do anything to serve anyone right now, but I can pray. And every nurse that came into the room, she knew, never knew it, but she was receiving my prayer. As she changed my IV, as she checked my pupils, she would open my eye so I could see her. When she opened my eye, and I would pray, friend, I don't care what has, you've been afraid, what the devil has told you has stopped you from being effective in the kingdom. I don't care what it is. The battle isn't in some valley. The battle is in your mind. And you can be swinging a very mighty sword, declaring your purpose to the end no matter what you're physically able to do, no matter what you have the finances to be able to do, no matter what your family is cooperating with you to do, no matter, no matter, no matter, you fight the battle in your mind. And it's not about help me to withstand, Lord, don't let them hurt me. It's about, I know what you said, and I will echo it with my mouth. It doesn't have to look. It doesn't have to look like winning. It's just the truth. And the truth always wins. Sometimes I hesitate to tell my story in settings like this because I wouldn't want any of you to walk out the door and say, I don't have a testimony like that one. That I rose up when they said I would never walk again that I can see when they said I would never see again, that I can speak when they said I would never speak again, and all the things that they spoke over me, the Lord turned around. And some of you would say, well, I have nothing to share. I have nothing like that. That is where we're misunderstanding a very important verse in Revelation. I believe you are familiar with the verse that says, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we think that means like our little story, 
our little life story. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and our little life story. No, the word of our testimony are these 66 books. This is the word of our testimony. In here it says, we were born in a perfect place, but a snake came in and stole it from us. And he tells us every day that we don't deserve to be there, but that's not true. God created us to be there. And he made us a way to get back. When we deserve death, he gave his son to die in our place, to shed his blood for us. And now every time God looks at us, he sees Jesus' blood. And that's our ticket back to Eden. Jesus' blood is our ticket to heaven. It's not about how much we do. It's about who has done it for us. And so the next time you are tempted to say, I don't have that much to share of my life story, I want you to go, I I got a lot to share. I better start reading it. This weekend, uh, my family and I did a little uh, devotional together. And one of the object's lessons involved this little piece of fabric right here. I unrolled sheets of it. This is a little piece to go the full length of each person's body. And I said, you know what? You're a believer in Christ Jesus. That makes us different. Because when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees us through Jesus' blood. And that changes everything. When Jesus looks at us through, I mean, when God looks at us through Jesus' blood, that changes everything. But you know what? When it's in front of your face, friend, that also means you're looking out through Jesus' blood, which changes how you see the world. We don't see the world with our old eyes. We see the world through Jesus' blood. We, we have kingdom goggles. When you look at somebody who's failing, you see potential. When you see somebody who has messed up, you see where they're headed next, not their past. You see the forgiveness that God has spoken over them. And friends, that's a new kind of shield. So we don't have to be swinging faith anymore. We're completely covered in it. I want you to take a look at this picture of the Black Panther. I don't know if you're a fan of the Avengers movies, but Black Panther is completely covered in a vibranium suit. It's a special kind of suit. And every time he's hit, the bullet, the flaming arrow, whatever it is, energizes the suit. It stores up the power of what has come to destroy him. The suit absorbs it. And at the right moment, he can use that stored up power to send a shockwave on his enemies. And so the very thing that was meant to harm him is turned for his good. You know that verse, don't you? What Satan meant to harm you, my friend, is going to be turned for your good. You're wearing faith like a vibranium suit. It's Jesus' blood, and it can't be taken off of you. So that means that every time you take an arrow, you're just storing it up. You don't have to go, oh, protect me. I have faith. Protect me. You're like, 
we don't say bring it on. We would never say that. <laughs> but when it does come, we're not afraid because the enemy doesn't even realize what happens. What he meant to destroy us is turned for our good. And through the blood of Jesus, our faith rises up and we're like, Ugh! a shockwave comes out in every area that he calls darkness and light shines out. But that Black Panther suit, that vibranium faith of ours works best in rest, just like the sword does. Remember Hebrews 4, I had you open to it. There's a perfect rest that's prepared for us, but it won't work if you don't believe it. Because if you don't believe that it's already been done for you, you're going to keep on working hard to earn your way to heaven. And you keep on thinking that reading the Bible and going to church is scoring points for you. And you're missing it completely. Because it's done. It's done. You are fully empowered if you believe you are. You swing the truth of what God has said about who you are and defeat the enemy in your mind. I have to tell you, some of you are two weeks away from Graceland. I'll never, I'll never think of Graceland the same because months ago we started planning this trip, my family and I, knowing that this week is my last week was my nephew's ninth birthday. And he loves him some Elvis. <laughs> and when Josh asked me to come, I said, hey, that'll work out. We can come see Memphis, see Graceland, tour son's studio. He, my nephew loves all, of, all things music. And it's so funny, in the last month or so, who knew, but he would mention Graceland two different times to me. And the whole time I knew, he was fixing to go. But you know what he said as he was sitting beside me on the couch? He goes, sometimes I wonder if I'll ever be able to go to Graceland. And I was like, <laughs> I wanted to say, I have something planned for you. We've all had this planned for you. And when he said it the second time, it was all I could do. He was like, do you think, do you think I'll ever get to go to Graceland? It was all I could do not to tell him, but it wasn't the time yet. We had the time set for when his surprise blessing would be revealed. My dear brothers and sisters, it's not time yet, but it doesn't mean you're not close. Some of you have been waiting a very, very long time on certain things that you have prayed for, and you're wondering, you're asking, am I ever going to get to dot, dot, dot? Is this ever going to be over dot, dot, dot? 
And God's going, baby, you're two weeks away. You're two years away. Will you hold on that much longer? God is constantly thinking of you. He's constantly planning for your good. He has not forgotten you. It's not possible for him to forget you. The blood of his son is on you. He will not forget his son. You are almost there. What you do in the meantime, what you do in the meantime is remember what God has said about you. And you do not let the enemy make you forget. Right now, if the elders and prayer partners would come to their places, I think there are a lot of people in here who are heavy from a long wait. If you are heavy from a long wait, will you please consider coming forward and praying with someone who can speak truth over you. If the enemy has had you believe in a few lies, like that you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes, will you, will you consider coming forward? If the enemy has been telling you that your assignment is very small and doesn't, ma doesn't matter, will you consider having somebody speak truth over you, pray over you and remind you that you wear a vibranium suit of faith Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you have given us mighty things to empower us while we wait for you to return. We believe that one day dead bodies will rise and breathe again. And to believe something so hard to believe, we have to have faith like a vibranium suit we have to have kingdom goggles to see the world through your son's blood. We believe some crazy stuff, Lord, if it weren't for you. So help us to stay in your word so we can believe the truth that you've left for us. And give us courage. Right now, I speak over this congregation. Let there be courage. Let there be courage. Let it rise up in every heart. Let it bubble forth in every family. Strengthen marriages here. Let there be courageous acts of love between husband and wife. Courageous acts of forgiveness between husband and wife. I pray that brothers and sisters come together in unity. That any estranged relationship right now, that someone who is feeling like they are apart from someone they grew up in their family with, a sibling or a parent, that you would rise up in courage in that person to show forgiveness and love, even when it's hard. We accept your truth, and we echo it back to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.